This WBEZ podcast is supported by Hacia, whose Executive Fellows Program provides Black and Latinx business owners with real-world tools and strategies needed to master fundamental management concepts related to company stability and growth. Registrants learn through one-on-one executive coaching sessions with subject matter experts in the areas of finance, business development, operations, and legal. More info at HACIAWorks.org. This WBEZ podcast is supported by Ravinia, with over 100 concerts under the stars this summer, including Daryl Hall and Elvis Costello, Nora Jones with special guest Mavis Staples, the Beach Boys with special guest John Stamos, Shaggy and TLC, Jason Isbell and the 400 Unit, the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, and more. Their 30-acre park is nestled in a gently wooded area. Bring your own picnic or eat at one of the park restaurants. Tickets available now only at ravinia.org. Twitter? I hardly know her. Threads, Mastodon, Blue Sky, Post, and Spills. Oh my. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Last week, Meta rolled out its newest social media platform, Threads. Meta executives are calling it a positive online space for folks and communities that weren't always behind Twitter. And so far, it looks like the platform's doing well with 100 million users since its debut last week. Could Threads be the next big thing? And as more folks jump from Twitter to other platforms, how are established communities on the app going to change? To learn more, we're joined by Ross Shulman, a senior fellow on decentralization at the Electronic Frontier Foundation. That's a nonprofit that defends digital privacy and free speech. Ross, what was your reaction to the Threads announcement? Well, I mean, I think I'm equally excited and apprehensive, probably. <laughs> Why do you say that? See, well, I think it's great to see uh, bigger companies getting into the space, the Fediverse space, uh, and that is like interoperable social media. Uh, it's really great to see Meta doing it. We've also seen a couple other kind of smaller companies uh, uh, doing the same thing, but they're really the biggest one uh, so far. And that's great for a lot of different reasons. But I think at the end of the day, it's really it's great for users. Yeah. I'm not. I'm apprehensive, uh, on the other hand, because, um, you know, Meta has uh, has a history, um, and uh, there are at least some who are afraid uh, that they won't uh, sort of adequately police their own platform for uh, things like hate speech, for example, uh, and that, you know, maybe they're trying to engage in some sort of, like, attempt to uh, co-opt the, the interoperability of the Fediverse uh, and sort of make it theirs in some way. Yeah. So you mentioned some terms there that we'll dig into uh, a bit more in just a moment. But for those listening who may not quite get it just yet, haven't seen Threads, how would you describe it? What is it exactly? Yeah, so Threads, kind of as you said in the intro, it's, it's a pretty standard, uh, as far as I can tell, what we call maybe like a microblogging social media uh, site. And so that's usually, you know, uh, text. Uh, so it's not like Instagram where it's focused on images, for example. It's basically text only. Uh, and usually there, you know, you see some sort of like uh, character limit, like, you know, like like people may be familiar with from, uh, from Twitter, for example. Um, and right now it's a completely closed network. So you have to join the network in order to follow other people uh, on threads. Mm-hmm. But but Meta has stated that their goal uh, going forward here is going to be to open that up and to allow it to interoperate with other platforms, other services that speak what's called the Activity Pub Protocol. I see. And that's what we usually refer. That's what we usually mean when we refer to the Fediverse. The app experienced a massive surge surge in in users right after it launched. Russ, I mean, I, I think 
it's nice to have a, a built-in potential audience of a billion users, right? Yeah, I mean, that would be like the single biggest one-time injection into, right. the, into the Fediverse of users for sure. Um, you know, I think they made it really easy to sign up, right? So if you already have an Instagram account, it's really easy to create a Threads account. And so I think a lot of people just out of, you know, sheer curiosity just sort of clicked that button and said, yeah, sure, I'll give it a go. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it, it's, it's definitely a lot of users uh, all at once. Yeah. We know Threads isn't the only competitor to Twitter either, you know, since Musk took over the site. I, for one, Russ, I hopped over to Spill pretty quickly because I was curious. Uh, That's a platform that was built by a pair of um, former Twitter employees. It's black owned. Um, People are hailing it as, you know, this new safe space for black Twitter. We know how influential um, and powerful black Twitter has been all these years. Um, Can you talk more about how some of these other alternative apps like Spill or Mastodon or Post, how they've been faring so far? Yeah, so I haven't played with all of them, and actually I haven't dipped my toes into Spill yet, but now that you mention it, maybe I think I should go check it out. But generally speaking, yes. I mean, I think especially around in about sort of October, November of last year, we saw a huge exodus from Twitter, uh, and and people definitely went to a whole bunch of different places. You know, So it's hard kind of to count users across what we – again, what we call the Fediverse or Mastodon, but, but you know, the, the biggest uh, – the biggest instances or servers within the Fediverse uh, that reported kind of user numbers saw a huge spike, right? And then I think there was like that initial curiosity. Some people bounced off of it. Some people loved it. But, you know, the sort of daily active users, which is oftentimes a a account that people refer to, sort of spiked and then kind of went down again and then kind of stabilized a little bit around about, say, like the turn of the year, basically. Um, And I think, you know, we're seeing that, that number sort of gradually kind of go back up again, not up to the heights of like where, you know, a hun- like lots and lots of people joined back in, say, October or November. But it's sort of now it's kind of steadily going up slowly. We're joined now by Naomi Nix, who's a staff writer who's focused on social media for The Washington Post. Good to have you back, Naomi. Thanks for having me. So on the topic of threads, Naomi, I mean, how has leadership at, at Twitter responded to this? I mean, we've seen Elon Musk, uh, you know, the, it's it's interesting, right? Like Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg have been taking both these subtle and not so subtle jabs at each other on social media for quite some time in the run up to the Threads launch. And, you know, even even after, right, we saw Twitter threaten to sue um, Meta over so-called copyright infringement that they, they essentially accused the platform of poaching their engineers and then... Um, creating a, a copycat platform, you know, obviously a legal threat is just that. It's only a legal threat. Yeah. Um, and Meta has a long history of, of copying products and not really facing much yeah. um, consequences for them. But I think it's clearly, I, I don't think that's something um, that would have happened if threads were not as um, success have a, as successful launch as yeah. it initially did. And, and Ross gave us a, a good setup there, but you mentioned the key word here, copycats. In what ways, so that we're, we're clear, in what ways is, is Threads like Twitter? And in what ways is it different? So look, I think the basic functionality is going to look similar to the average, you know, text-based social media platform. You can post... Um, you know, just like you post on Twitter, it's it is text based. You can reply to people. Um, you know, everyone has a sort of profile. I think 
we're waiting, you know, Threads doesn't have quite the same functionalities yet as Twitter. Like you can't privately send people a, a message. You can't, um, they don't have a search functionality for content yet. They don't have hashtags yet. Um, and so we haven't, you know, we haven't seen the sort of built out features yet, but, see. but, meta, but the executives have kind of, um, you know, hinted that some of those are, are coming. And I think the central difference that Meta is hoping will happen is that Instagram will be a place for lifestyle and sports and entertainment content more than it is a place for news and politics in the way that Twitter has become known to be. Whether that'll be successful, I think, is an, an open question. And, and Ross, let's go back to what we were talking about earlier. Adam Masseri, who's uh, the CEO of Instagram and now Threads, he said that eventually Threads is going to become part of the Fediverse, the word you mentioned earlier. It's a new term for a lot of people. So just remind us exactly what it is and, and how it actually will work on a practical level. Like what, what does it mean for users to be part of a, a decentralized social network? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, what a lot of people probably don't realize is that they already know inherently kind of how this works. And that's because it works the same way as email. So the Fediverse is to social media as email or as, as sort of say, um, or sorry, Mastodon is to the social media as say Gmail maybe is to, to email, right? So if you have an email account at Gmail, for example, you can email somebody else at a different server say, you know, your college or, or your, your, your average college or, or your average business, right? And the, those two servers, the Gmail servers and the other servers, they'll talk to each other and they'll exchange the message and they'll say, you know, this is for Ross, and then it'll get delivered to your inbox. Right. ActivityPub is the same thing, but for social media content, right? And that can be either sort of text snippets like you might see on, on say, Twitter or Mastodon or, or Threads, but it can also be for images, videos, you know, book reviews, like anything you can sort of imagine being social can be the content of an activity pub message. Um, and so what it, what it means for threads to sort of join the Fediverse, mean, it basically it means that the server that threads lives on with all of its users can talk to all the other servers running activity pub around the world. And so a user on threads could follow a user on, on, on say Mastodon, mm -hmm and would see their that person's posts in their timeline and vice versa that a person out out in the fediverse could follow somebody on threads and see their posts in their timeline and ex you can exchange likes and uh, and you know replies and reach re retweets or whatever you want to call them uh, all the same way uh, you could if you were all on a central server but it just means that you know everybody is on their own kind of uh, servers around the world right are, are there drawbacks to this there can be some drawbacks, um, you know, and nothing nothing is perfect, right? Uh, so, for example, um, it, you can sort of consider it a drawback, but it can also be a benefit. But, you know, each server is responsible for its own um, kind of moderation, right, a content moderation. And so you might find some servers where, um, where, you know, hate speech is not completely not allowed and it'll be taken down and you'll get banned or whatever. You could find maybe some other uh, servers that are more, uh, dedicated to sort of like, you know, freedom of expression, freedom of speech. They're not going to take anything down, down ever, right? Um, so there's, there's a gamut that, that runs there. Um, now, the, the way this can sort of backfire a little bit is some of these servers are run by, you know, one, maybe two people, mm -hmm. and they might not have the bandwidth to really moderate um, adequately, especially if their user base gets really large. And so you don't have the sort of really uh, be 
beefy trust and safety teams that some of the larger social media platforms right. uh, do, for example. And Naomi, as we, we mentioned earlier, Meta, it really doesn't have the best repu- reputation when it comes to data privacy. So should users be wary of, of sharing even more data with this company by signing up for threads? I, I think users should be aware that the company is is collecting a ton of data, right? And that the purpose of that data collection is going to be targeted advertising, right? So this is just another way, um, you know, for the company to bolster that business at a time when actually its digital advertising business has taken a hit. Um, it's faced a lot of um, market forces and economic forces that that have hurt it and, you know, forced the company to do layoffs. And so, you know, yes, the company is going to be collecting a ton of data on you, just like they do on Instagram, right. just like they do on Facebook. Um, and uh, users might, that might not sit well with them. What do you think, Ross, that this means for, you know, what online communities are going to look like in the future? I mean, could we see a future where everything's just far more niche? I think that's possible, although, I mean, with the sheer number of signups that Threads has seen, uh, as you mentioned earlier, that doesn't feel that niche, right? That, that feels pretty, pretty, True. pretty, pretty big. But, but yes, I mean, I think in essence, what the, what the concept of sort of the Fediverse offers is that ability to get kind of niche, right? And so, you know, I have, have an acquaintance, a colleague who runs uh, a Fediverse server. I, I, think, I believe it's for the city of Ottawa. I can't remember. It's a Canadian city. But, but yeah, I mean, it can get really kind of local like that. But at the same time, giving you that global reach that the interoperability kind of allows. You, get, you kind of get a little bit of, you know, a best of both worlds kind of thing going on there. I want to bring another voice into the conversation to talk about some of the legal ramifications that could happen as a result of the Threads launch. So joining us now is Jim Spetta, who's a professor of law at University of Northwestern's Pritzker School of Law. Welcome to Reset, Professor. Uh, Thanks for having me. So Meta and its various companies, they've been known to copycat their competition, as we've been talking about. I'm thinking of when I say that I'm thinking of uh, the Instagram feature Reels, for example. It's, It's pretty much a clone of TikTok. Uh, Instagram stories, I, I think they're very similar to Snapchat's in that they they disappear. So is is Threads, is that really infringing on Twitter's copyright? Probably not, in my opinion, from from what I've seen so far. Um, there are two issues. Um, the first of which is, is it very similar to the look and feel of Twitter? Um, And if the answer to that is yes, and here the look and feel has a lot of similarities, the second question you have to ask is, is this essentially functionality as opposed to expression? And as the other guest was describing, a text-based social media network like all of the ones we've been talking about, Mastodon, Threads, Twitter, et cetera, Mm -hmm. has a basic functionality. And so... My guess is that there's probably not a straight copyright claim here, but it's early days. Mm. And as you noted, these companies don't like one another. So Meta certainly has an advantage over other Twitter competitors, though, because of having Instagram and Facebook. Do you think the Federal Trade Commission could take a look at an antitrust suit? I think the Federal Trade Commission will definitely take a a look at the antitrust issues as well as the privacy issues. Those are, of course, two two separate issues, although they're somewhat related. As you know, the Federal Trade Commission has sued 
Facebook over the old acquisitions of WhatsApp and Instagram, claiming that they were decreasing competition by buying competitors. This is a completely different instance because Threads is a new product that Facebook is bringing out to increase competition with Twitter and other text-based um, social media. But nevertheless, um, there are other aspects of the deal, particularly how closely tied Instagram and threads are that I think the Federal Trade Commission will want to take a look at. Yeah. Uh, so the other microblogging platforms that you mentioned, like Mastodon and Blue Sky, could they also face po- legal action, potentially? I don't know. Um, I, I don't think so. Although, theoretically, if, if Twitter thinks there's a copyright problem with threads, they probably think there's a copyright problem with Blue Sky. Right. And, and Mastodon, uh, et cetera. As to competition, Facebook is, or antitrust, um, Facebook is just in a completely different realm in terms of being a big platform. And so it faces antitrust scrutiny that the smaller, um, newer uh, platforms don't. Yeah. Back to you, Naomi. I mean, Twitter, we know it, it touted itself as being this public square and, you know, people can come here to get the news of the day and to talk politics. Is that where Threads wants to go? Is that the goal? I think I think news and politics are inevitably going to follow uh, on to Threads. We've already seen some politicians like AOC who tend to be power social media users mm-hmm. on the platform. Journalists have, have been among the earliest adopters. Um, but I think Meadow, in its ideal world, would like to avoid some of that. You know, the head of Instagram, you know, like I mentioned, said that news and politics gives brings them a lot of scrutiny. Um, and I think that, you know, it, it's the truth is like the company, it'll force the company to make hard decisions about who to who to let on the platform um, and when to to deactivate their account. Like we've already seen certain right leaning critics um essentially criticized Meta for some of um, some of their content moderation decisions that have already happened. Um, and and so I think that's something that Meta would like to avoid, but ultimately won't be able to. Yeah. And PR, we know, chose to leave Twitter after it was labeled a, quote, state run media. Right. How do you think news organizations might engage then with threads or really any of these federated social networks? Well, Look, I mean, I think they they I think Meta does have an opportunity to have a different relationship with news organizations than Twitter has had under Elon Musk. Um, You know, Elon, like as you mentioned, NBR had to leave. Elon Musk's even approach to communications with journalists and, and the automated essentially poop emoji that journalists get when they they get requests for comment like it's been a much more toxic relationship there than Meta has had. And that's that's kind of setting a low bar, I think. And so um, I think it'll be interesting to see how much news organizations try to drive some of their conversation over on threads. Ultimately, I think um, one of the determining factors on that is just like how much website traffic does threads drive back to to news websites? Right. That'll be the Um, thing. That'll be that'll be the key. Ross, any final thoughts on whether we'll see more news on threads? Yeah, I mean, following up on that, absolutely. I think one of the great uh, potentials of the Fediverse is actually that news organizations don't have to be beholden to billionaires to get their message out anymore. I mean, NPR 
if they don't like, you know, how they're being labeled by Twitter, I mean, you all have a domain name, npr.org. You can set up a Fediverse mm-hmm. uh, instance for yourselves. Uh, or I'm, I'm, I'm lumping you in with the, all of NPR here, but yes, but I am the representative. You know, you know, exactly <laughs> right. Um, but but yeah, uh, no new, no news organization has to worry that Twitter is going to turn them off anymore. You know, we have the ability to to do it ourselves. And and I think that's great. And I think we're going to see more of that going forward. Yeah. Ross Shulman is a senior fellow at the Electronic Frontier Foundation. Naomi Nix is a staff writer for The Washington Post and Jim Spetta, a professor of law at Northwestern. Thank you all. We'll turn now to the online communities that were built over the years on Twitter and what might happen to them as more and more people are leaving the platform. Joining us now is Paul Booth, professor of communications and media at DePaul University, and Ariane Nettles, a journalism lecturer at Northwestern University's Medill School. Now, Ariane, when Elon Musk took over Twitter last year, many were worried about rising hate on the platform and maybe fewer safeguards for users who are facing harassment. And that was a concern we know for many users of what we call Black Twitter and other communities as well. So what made some people, including you, want to stay? Yeah, yeah. I think the thing is, is that you can duplicate technology, right? You can duplicate features, but you can't duplicate community. And so even with um, threads and having, you know, some of that same functionality, the community of Black Twitter as we know it to be, is still on Twitter. You know, Um, it still has not changed over. When you go to threads, honestly, it feels very much kind of, because it is an extension of Meta and it's an extension of um, Instagram, it feels honestly very much like the early days of Facebook. You you see Mm. posts like, you know, what type of, and this is a real post I saw, what type of notebook do you use? Spiral or bounded or really? whatever. And and these are things that you just probably would never see on Twitter, <laughs> right? Like, right. so these are people who, not in a bad way, they just don't maybe know the nuances of Twitter. Um, it's really hard to be funny in a tweet. It's really hard to be interesting in a tweet. And I think that it's kind of like a form of storytelling that people have cultivated over years and years and years of practice. Which is why a lot of us have chosen to stay. We talked earlier about how NPR has uh, chosen to leave the platform. This was after it was labeled a state-run media Mm -hmm. by Twitter. Mm -hmm. WBEZ is one of the organizations that stayed. Like We are still on Twitter. How has your experience, I'm, I'm curious, how has it been on Twitter in the Musk era for you? So, of course, I think that whenever I um, report someone for what I think is blatant discrimination or attacks, uh, it's never taken seriously. So I think that, you know, the lack of moderation is a very true and important thing. You know, Um, I've kind of just started to just block and move on. I've kind of seen that just as a part of being on the online landscape um, and something that maybe is not as controllable. Yeah. Um, but outside of that, I think it's just as funny. It's just as entertaining. And the community itself, there has been no like large masses, you know, because we have seen this in some articles, right, that there's a mass of people that have left. Honestly, right. like the big players, the people who still have a really big following on Twitter, they may 
also try out other places, but, but they're, they're still on. Twitter. Yeah, they're just beta testing. You know, they're they they may go and post the same thing someplace else to see what type of interactions they'll get, yeah. but they won't leave Twitter just yet because that's still where. Where, where everyone is. A lot of people are still just trying to hold on to their handle just in case. Just in case. So, Paul, let's bring you in here because social media, as we know, it's always been this place for folks to, to come together and uh, especially around shared identities and shared interests like pop culture, for instance. Why do people gravitate towards social media platforms to find community? Well, I mean, there's uh, a lot of reasons um, and that's a great question. Um, I think some of the most uh, kind of clearest ones is it's just the sheer amount of people that you can reach. If you have a kind of niche interest in something or you you want to find a community about uh, a topic that not very many people in your local geographic community know about and you go on Twitter, uh, there's millions of people from around the world that might be interested in it. So, I mean, the, 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 the very kind of clear, obvious one is just the the kind of geographic spread that you've got. But I think there's also a kind of um, almost like a multimedia experience as well. Um, You know, it's so hard to communicate in just text, in just getting your kind of emotions or your values or your opinions across in in just text, uh, in just writing. But being able to include GIFs and images, um, movies, uh, and, and, and all sorts of multimedia audio um, really kind of coheres the community um, in kind of new and exciting ways. I mean, how did we get here? I feel like there was a time where we did that mm-hmm. without the help of social media platforms. They, they didn't exist yet. So we did communicate with somebody in right? person, in person, in real life. Remember but, those people? Yeah. But now, you know, it's it's I can be at home by myself. Right. And something major happens in the world, but I don't have to feel lonely about it. Right. Yeah. I can laugh with people about it. And, you know, what we've seen over the last couple of years is just how important that is. And I think that honestly, um, and I say this with love because I am, you know, I, f- I feel like I'm still a part. I'm, I'm very much still a part of the media. Right. But we sometimes forget and we think very much about what our goals are for social media. And we think about disseminating information. And that is very important. But a lot of times when we when we talk about community and people feeling close, it's about the laughs. It's about mm-hmm. the jokes. It's about those things that are not easy to replicate. And so maybe it is yeah. like. Um, you know, when somebody that that friend who tells jokes really well and they do it with their body and they kind of put everything into it when you're all together in person, they can do it with gifts or they can do it with a TikTok. And well, this it, yeah. this this reminds me of some place that we're both on, Ariane, which is Spill. Right. Yes. This is another yes. new platform mm-hmm. as you talk about the jokes and the this and mm-hmm. the that. I mean, this is sort of Black Twitter reincarnated, yeah. right? Yeah. And and that launched recently. Um, now clear this up. I don't know what you've heard last, but I mean, people thought that this was an app specifically for black users. When you go on spill, the, the, the folks, uh, the two former black Twitter employees who made the, who built the app, they say, oh, everyone's invited. This is for all. Yes. Yes. So it's for everyone. Right. The point is that, you know, thinking about how, you know, we were talking about safety on Twitter and a lot of people not feeling safe. The difference with Spill is that they wanted to make sure that people 
are invited, you know, kind of having a slow growth and not just that everybody it's can hop only. on, invite only yeah. as they grow, which I think is smart, you know, a sm- and a smart tech idea to make sure that you can handle that growth. Um, and so it is for everyone, but it is supposed to be a safe space in that way where, you know, discrimination isn't tolerated compared to a Twitter where it's hard to prove discrimination. They have taken a stance that even discrimination off the app could be considered discrimination and could be cause for getting you removed from Mm. it. And so I think that, you know, that 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 was an initial Confusion and it's still the the users for the most part are still mostly people of color, yeah. but is a it is an app for everyone. Um, but when we talk about like Black Twitter as a conglomerate, even when we're we're on Twitter, Black Twitter is still for everyone, right? The jokes are right. open, um, and so I think that that was just a miscommunication. I think that the bigger thing is creating spaces where people don't feel as if they're going to get jumped on or they're going to be made to feel unsafe. And so that's what the creators have said that they really want to ensure. And and Paul, with so many apps and choices right now, what do you expect to happen to to longstanding online communities? Are are they going to splinter? Will certain groups tend to be attracted to certain apps? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, so in the history of media, uh, very, very few things just completely disappear. I mean, we still have a MySpace. Not as many people are on it, but we still have it. Yeah. And so I'm seeing what I'm what I'm thinking. You know, there's going to be a splintering. I think you're absolutely right that people are going to create an account on Threads and keep their account on Twitter. Um, but every social media kind of develops its own personality and it develops its own uh, kind of incentive for why people want to use it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's probably one of the reasons why when Musk took over Twitter, so many people were incensed about it because he's changing the culture of this, uh, changing the vibe of the place, right? It's like if someone buys your favorite bar and then suddenly changes the vibe of it, um, so I think people are going to stick around on the ones that they're used to, but they're going to add on and they're going to keep adding on new social media that do different things, that have different vibes, that have different communities and allow them to communicate and talk in, in new and different ways with different groups. Now, Ariane, I mean, do you think people will end up staying put on Twitter um, even beyond this migration that we're seeing happen. I'm, I've seen an increase in folks saying their goodbyes. Mm-hmm, I saw mm-hmm. a lot. I mean, yeah, there I were see, the initial goodbyes. Yeah. Remember that when, when it was official? Came back. They yeah. would say they're leaving and then they come back. Right. I think because we, we are people who are driven, you know, by other people. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah, it makes sense to say, Oh, I'm out of here. Whenever, when you think everybody else is leaving yeah. the party, but if everybody else is still at the party, it's going to take you a while to right. really, really grab, grab your bag and leave. And, and we're so, being, we're being super selective right now. Yeah. And like, where we're going. What do you think are the basics of what a social media app needs in order to draw an yeah. audience, right? Because there's the mastodons and the blue skies. Yep. And, 
Yeah. You're picking and choosing just exactly. like I am, which ones you'll yeah, dabble in, which yeah, ones you won't. Yeah. What, are, what are you looking for? I think when, and, and I do think this, this does vary on if I'm trying to use it for just like, you know, my news sources or if I'm really doing it to find community. So one thing that I know that I particularly look for is the ability to spread stuff, right? Like, um, I am a person who doesn't always want to talk into an echo chamber. Right. Um, and so I loved how on Twitter, some tweets I tweet could go viral. It doesn't mean that I need a million followers, but if I say something funny, I could connect with people through the, you know, natural connections of a tweet being shared by somebody else who thinks it's funny or somebody else who thinks it's interesting. And that's how what I think is natural connections. I think that's the closest to maybe me being at a dinner party Mm -hmm. and I know this person, but then this person knows this person, right? Like how do we kind of create those natural scenarios? But then also you want some choice, right? You want to be able to kind of select some stuff. And a lot of the newer apps that are coming out Mm -hmm. so far do not have those opportunities opportunities to kind of be a little bit more selective in what you see mm. and what you control. Um, I've just ignored most of them. Yeah, to be yeah, yeah. You, I'm just going to hang out to the bitter end. I'm going to just hang out with, <laughs> with my people because this is these are my people, right? Yeah. Um, and, and, and like I said, I'm not going to leave until my people leave. Um, I mean, well, uh, Thread's CEO says, you know, it, it's not for news and politics. So do you think yeah. that that could drive away the community from black Twitter? I still don't necessarily think so. I still think that it could, and I and I don't want to say that it could never happen, but I think that just the people, you know, the numbers, I don't want to say they lie, but the numbers of those people, yeah. you still have a great amount of people who are used to Instagram and Facebook. They're not Instagram, they're not used to Twitter. So it's That's true. It doesn't make sense to assume that they're going to be used to Twitter jokes that have been in the making for ten years or more, right? Like how that culture is, it's not just going to just pick up and duplicate on another platform. It could create its own, you know, culture, which it likely will, but we'll We'll have to see. Right. And will we like it? Who knows? That's true. Ariane Nettles is a journalism lecturer at Northwestern University Medill School. And we've also been talking with Paul Booth, professor of communication and media at DePaul. Thank you both. This episode of Reset was produced by Andrew Merriweather and Nadia Hernandez, and it was edited by Micah Yason, Ethan Schwab, and Dan Tucker. Now, regardless of what platform you're listening to us on, we hope you enjoyed spending time with us today. We drop episodes every Monday through Saturday, and you can stay up to date by subscribing. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We'll meet again soon. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.